Hello, I'm Paul Cromford, your friendly neighbourhood fool, and today I'm suggesting that any fool can think they're funny, and most of us can be fairly amusing a lot of the time. But not many of us think we're funny enough to channel our comedic gifts into the printed word. That narrows the field a bit. But there are still countless writers out there who believe they can make us giggle with whatever pours out onto their keyboard. And perhaps in many cases they're right. But this is where things get a little woolly, because a sense of humour is a very subjective indicator of mirth's worth. For my part, I've found that many of the comedic writers that I've tried reading during the last 20 or 30 years don't strike me as funny at all. The humour will come across as forced, when of course it should seem effortless. Much of it smacks of somebody writing to a deadline and pushing situations to set up jokes. Failing that, struggling humorists will go for the scatological jugular. Let's make loads of remarks about poo! Or try to shock me into an uncertain laugh with a sudden lapse into horrifically bad taste. Now, there are writers whose work I have treasured and still do. People who could occasionally leave me helplessly quivering and breathless, runny-nosed and teary-eyed with uncontrollable hilarity. These are the writers whose general style is gently wry, leavened with big, deeply satisfying laughter bombs. For me, these are the likes of Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett. Bill Bryson and Mark Wallington. However, there was another breed of humorist whose work I treasure just as much. His books have been favourites of mine since I was 11 or 12, and at that age they did provoke huge belly laughs in me. These days I reread them with a constant inner smile, and even now the odd chuckle. The author was the great Jerome K. Jerome, born almost exactly a century before I was, in a small town not far from my birthplace and creator of that immortal hymn to the Victorian Thames, Three Men in a Boat, brackets, to say nothing of the dog, brackets off. I reread that book again last year and tittered all over again. Just as much as the narrative content, it's his quiet fluency with language that raises one's spirits, and his happy knack of describing events with a kind of understatement that actually draws attention to itself. Nobody ever understated to funnier effect than J.K.J., I'd like to read you an excerpt from his sequel to Three Men in a Boat, Three Men on the Bummel, published in 1900. Let's capture the age and set the scene. It's 1900, 14 years before the Great War. Queen Victoria is beginning her final year on this earth. Britain has an empire, which may have its commendable aspects and its unsavoury aspects, but it is what it is and nobody is crass or craven enough to be apologising for it. There's no TV, no radio, no air travel. But there are newspapers by the dozen and five or six postal deliveries every day. Three middle-aged, middle-income gentlemen have decided to abandon their wives for a few weeks and go on a cycling holiday in Germany. Before they depart, one of them, George, has decided to experiment with a German-to-English phrase book. He will pretend to be German with no command of English visit a boot shop in central London and see how much help his phrasebook actually is. Here we go. We stopped the cab at a boot shop a little past Astley's Theatre that looked the sort of place we wanted. 
It was one of those overfed shops that the moment their shutters are taken down in the morning, disgorge their goods all round them. Boxes of boots stood piled on the pavement or in the gutter opposite. Boots hung in festoons about its doors and windows. Its sunblind was as some grimy vine bearing bunches of black and brown boots. Inside, the shop was a bower of boots. The man, when we entered, was busy with a chisel and hammer, opening a new crate full of boots. George raised his hat and said, Good morning. The man did not even turn round. He struck me from the first as a disagreeable man. He grunted something which might have been good morning, or might not, and went on with his work. George said, I have been recommended to your shop by my friend Mr. X. In response, the man should have said, Mr. X is a most worthy gentleman. It will give me the greatest pleasure to serve any friend of his. What he did say was, Don't know him. Never heard of him. This was disconcerting. The book gave three or four methods of buying boots. George had carefully selected the one centred around Mr. X, as being, of all, the most courtly. You talked a good deal with the shopkeeper about this Mr. X, and then, when by this means friendship and understanding had been established, you slid naturally and gracefully into the immediate object of your coming, namely, your desire for boots, quote, cheap and good, unquote. This gross material man cared apparently nothing for the niceties of retail dealing. It was necessary, with such a one, to come to business with brutal directness. George abandoned Mr. X, and turning back to a previous page, took a sentence at random. It was not a happy selection. It was a speech that would have been superfluous made to any bootmaker. Under the present circumstances, threatened and stifled as we were on every side by boots, it possessed the dignity of positive imbecility. It ran, One has told me that you have here boots for sale. For the first time, the man put down his hammer and chisel and looked at us. He spoke slowly in a thick and husky voice. He said, What do you think I keep boots for? To smell them? He was one of those men that begin quietly and grow more angry as they proceed, their wrongs apparently working within them like yeast. What do you think I am? He continued. A boot collector? What do you think I'm running this shop for? My health? Do you think I love the boots and can't bear to part with a pair? Do you think I hang them about here to look at them? Ain't there enough of them? Where do you think you are? In an international exhibition of boots? What do you think these boots are? A historical collection? Did you ever hear of a man keeping a boot shop and not selling boots? Do you think I decorate the shop with them to make it look pretty? What do you take me for? A prize idiot? Um, I have always maintained that these conversation books are never of any real use. However, I will do George the credit to admit he chose the very best sentence that was to be found therein, and applied it. He said, I will come again, when perhaps you will have some more boots to show me. Till then, adieu. With that, we returned to our cab and drove away. 
leaving the man standing in the centre of his boot-bedecked doorway, addressing remarks to us. What he said, I did not hear. But the passers-by appeared to find it interesting. That's just a tiny sample of the comic genius that was Jerome K. Jerome. So yes, any fool can think they're funny. But how many of us could write a situation that will still spring out of the page 121 years after it was written? Thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>